Hi everybody, Chantel here. Just wanted to give you a little uh, quick insight. This interview starts in the pre-interview phase with Lindy Royer and I chatting about uh, the topic. So we're just going to jump in so you can hear some of the cool back and forth before the interview actually gets going. So here we go. The approach I'm taking with the workshop is not, not necessarily presenting anything new in terms of um, strategic protocols, right? Uh, dealing right. with scoliosis and osteoporosis. I want to review a fundament, the fundamentally most powerful strategies. So that's my, that's my objective in terms of the technique piece. But right. the other piece for me is that what I generally see people struggle with in terms of taking information protocols, etc., for scoliosis and osteoporosis is that they um, they don't. It's like it becomes too much for them to track, right? I find that most teachers are not really good at assessing and reassessing, so that's one piece, and and they also are trying to like incorporate too many different things, right? Too many different, um, ideas or opinions or strategies. And so they, they never establish a level of confidence and clarity around working with students. And, and then over the long term, what I ultimately see is they don't progress them appropriately, right? right. They, they live in this kind of fear-based lack of confidence place where they're always making lots and lots of modifications or they're never, uh, never progressing the students beyond, um, you know, the use of particular props. They're, so so I, the workshop is going to, in large part, be based on talking about how do, you, how do you ground yourself in some fundamental principles? How do you assess and reassess? How do you progress your students and build this level of confidence in yourself, but also rely on the feedback and relationship with your student to guide you in large part. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times the teachers think it's all of their, it's their responsibility fully and they yes. don't seek, you know, it's not a two way street. And this is not just with scoliosis or osteoporosis. Obviously it's kind of across the board. I think a lot of teachers are, are not really engaging in this two way, you know, communication with investigating. Well, here's a tool, here's a corrective action. How's that really feeling for you? What's that, you know, what's that like, not only in the moment, but also over time. So um, a lot of the workshop will be based on how to apply some fundamental principles. Uh, because I want teachers to be able to actually go out and be successful at working with students with any condition, but obviously the focus is on scoliosis and osteoporosis. So that's kind of that's kind of it. Okay. Yeah. I, that's great. I'm so glad you're doing it. Yeah. I think, I, yeah. I think there are a lot of techniques available. There's lots of you know, there's great stuff online. There's there are books. There are programs. And then I think it becomes at some point a matter of students not even really knowing how to synthesize all of that information. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, so it, I'm excited about it because, you know, in, primarily for me, I feel like what I am good at providing teachers is really looking at how to be 
better teachers, not necessarily better technicians, although I think I'm quite good at that too, but it's not something that I'm really driven to, you know, promote as much as I think teachers really need to know or learn or be guided in how, how do I take the technical information I already have and apply it in a way that, um, is successful long-term. So, right. um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think there are, uh, there's an unlimited number of techniques out there. Yeah. And teaching is about building a relationship and a connection with a client. Yeah. More than it is about the technique. I mean, obviously you've got to be good and you've got to understand, you've got to know what you're doing, but you can do that with a small toolbox. Yes. Yeah. You don't have to have a big gigantic toolbox. Yeah, I agree. I think that's when, you know, in your little list of questions, I think one of them was something about, you know, what mistakes do I see being made? I think that's one of the biggies is you're you're trying to put too many things in your toolbox Mm -hmm. and you're not really thinking about what's your role and what's your relationship with your student, what's your student's relationship with you and what's their responsibility and what's yours and how can you teach lumbo pelvic stability better? Right, right, (laughs) right. How about that, you know? Totally. Yeah. 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 Well, let's, let me back up for one second. And I just want to introduce you a little bit, um, uh, because I was looking at your website. So I'm speaking with Lindy Royer. She's a PT and a Pilates teacher among many, many other things. She's the owner of Park Meadows, um, Pilates and physical therapy. Are you in Denver, Lindy, or you are in close to Denver? I'm close to Denver. I'm in a suburb south of Denver called Lone Tree. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so Lindy and I met, I, you know, I was thinking about this earlier. It's been, I think five years ago, at least. Mm -hmm. I would guess that. Yeah. (laughs) In Sacramento at a balanced body faculty training. And, um, you know, you were at the top of a very short list of people who I felt like could engage around this topic in a way that felt really relevant to, you know, this workshop I'm getting ready to host. So I'm, I'm really thrilled to, you know, that we're having a conversation now about this. So, um, there was something Lindy in, uh, on your website that you wrote about yourself that I wanted to read because I think that it lends itself very much to the conversation we're about to have. And we've already begun to have, and, and, you know, this, this kind of, way of looking at working with students with any condition, but particularly our focus is on scoliosis and osteoporosis. So you wrote, over the last decade, I've developed a unique therapeutic program that focuses patient awareness, movement understanding, the latest research in brain science and imagery to restore balance to the whole body for natural healing. And uh, it struck me a bit when I read that because it's very much my sense of you. And then you've already confirmed this just in our few minutes of speaking today. It's that, you know, you are incredibly skilled. You have a lot of, uh, information. You have a lot of technique under your belt personally. Um, and yet what stands out for me is, is this idea of, um, patient awareness, right? Student awareness, uh, movement understanding, and uh, the idea of imagery and brain science, right? It's like, how does it all, how does it all get assimilated both for us as teachers and for the student? And can we focus on 
the assimilation and integration and the relationship in addition to having some really quality tools or techniques to apply. So I just thought that was, that really resonated with me and, and felt incredibly relevant for, you know, kind of what we're talking about today. So thanks for finding some time to chat with me, first of all. Well, yes, and thank you in your busy life. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I don't, it's it's one of those things, like when you're raising children and, and, and working and building a career and, you know, you're at a certain stage, it's like things don't ever slow down. So it's, you know, it's like make time or don't make time, but things don't, things don't slow down at least for a while. (laughs) No, no, um, my, my children are both in their twenties and, um, essentially out of the house. (laughs) I have one home at the moment, um, and it still hasn't slowed down. And I think it's more a matter of making your priorities. Yes, exactly. And, and when we say I, I don't have time to do something, we're really saying I'm not making time to do something. That's right. Right. It's not a priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. so, so let, we'll jump back in. And I, I think one of the questions I had posed to you just was, um, out. Uh, so oh, I'm not sure where to start, I guess. Um, uh, let me just read this question that I had sent you originally outside of specific protocols. What do you see teachers struggle with when working with this population? Is it that they don't have enough information? And I think perhaps we've already established that it often the case is that they have too much information. Uh, they're overly cautious or fearful. They don't stick to a program or they don't know how to successfully progress their students. So I'm just wondering from your vantage point, you know, as a teacher trainer and, you know, actively teaching, um, you know, and, and working with students, clients, patients, um, what, when you look around and you think about this population, you know, folks with scoliosis and osteoporosis, what do you feel like is the missing link for teachers that could perhaps help them be more successful? I think part of it is, yeah, as you said in in that question, I I don't know that it's that there isn't enough information available. There's a ton of information available. And I think we, as as teachers, we can get confused by all of that information. Um, And I also think that there's so much information available for our patients, our clients, Mm -hmm that they are equally as confused. Yeah, right. Um, and it's happening in their body, um, and yet they they don't really understand what's going on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, I, I would say if you had to sum it up, it's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. It's a disconnect on the part of the client who has probably, you know, if you're dealing with somebody who has scoliosis in particular, they've 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 been diagnosed probably relatively young. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually have a a bit of a scoliosis. It was, I I wasn't diagnosed till my late teens. Um, And it was just this offhanded thing of, I remember I was actually having a, my, one of my first breast exams (laughs) and um, I have an anterior rib hump Mm -hmm. under my, under my left rib cage or Mm -hmm. on my left rib cage. 
So I'm on the table and it was a nurse practitioner and she's kind of, you know, got her hands up, you know, around my, my, my chest and under my probably then fairly small boob. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, Oh my God, what is this? And you can imagine, you know, yes. I, I wasn't I wasn't real thrilled about that. Um, and and she determined that it was actually my somewhat misshapen rib cage that she was feeling, and not a gigantic lump, you uh-huh. know, in my breast. Uh-huh. Um, so in a way, that was a bit of a relief, you know. Right. She said, "Oh well, you've just got a scoliosis," and and that was pretty much it. You know, this was quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't much that anybody. You know, and I obviously didn't have something that was affecting my my lifestyle, my organs. I didn't have any pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was it. Oh, you've got a scoliosis. Okay, fine. Well, there was no internet. Um, I hadn't gone to PT school yet. I didn't really know much about it. Right. And I think for a lot of people, that's their first experience is not necessarily having a breast exam, but some practitioner says to them they have a scoliosis, and then they don't really know what to do with that Mm -hmm. and it's not until you know that it just becomes part of their identity Mm -hmm. you know they'll mention it usually yes to other practitioners and they'll say oh well I have a scoliosis but it's almost like it's this thing outside of themselves Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not until they start working in some sort of a mindful movement practice like Pilates where they really start hopefully taking a look at what that is and what it means and how it affects us. And, and if you haven't been addressing it yourself, you know, as somebody who has scoliosis, I think, you know, by the time women get into their thirties and forties and certainly into their fifties, now it's actually starting to cramp their style. Right. Um, (laughs) And so now they've got this thing that was something that almost felt like it was disconnected. And now it's, now it's become a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they come to us as teachers and they're looking for help and yet they can't get inside of it themselves mm-hmm. and they haven't been inside of it. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as teachers, I think a big part of our responsibility is not to fix it, but to help our clients get inside of their own bodies. Yeah. And to figure out, okay, you know, this is not something that, you know, we're not going to change the shape of your rib cage. We're not going to change the shape of those vertebrae that, you know, are a little bit different. Or we're not going to necessarily completely change your curve. There is, however, a lot that we can do to get your, you know, to get your connective tissue more balanced. And actually, over time, that will change the curves. Right. Yes. Right, right. Um, that's my belief, and it's actually been my experience. Yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that's our responsibility is to help our clients get inside their own bodies. And that's true with osteo as well, obviously, except with osteo, you know, the diagnosis happens later. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and it can also be a fairly sudden thing. I've had patients that were diagnosed as early as their 30s. Mm-hmm with osteo. And I've also had men who were diagnosed with osteo. So, mm-hmm. um, that's one of those things that it also can be kind of a sudden thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they don't know what to do with it either. Right. But, and, and I think that first reaction is, Oh, it, this is something that's happening to me. This is something that was, you know, it, it's, it, it isn't something that's in me. It's happened. Right. You know, Oh, this happened. Um, and, and our job is to, first of all, help people understand that it's not terminal. It's right. not life-threatening. 
Um, and it doesn't mean that, that they are broken. Yes. Because I think that's the other thing that I see teachers making this mistake, if it's a mistake, it's, it's to single out people who have scoliosis or osteo, and it happens with other, you know, other things, things too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And to single them out as if they are broken. Yes. Um, we're not broken. We're perfectly capable of being healthy. You know, osteoporosis can be reversed, you know, without medication. There's plenty of studies on that now. Um, and scoliosis doesn't have to cause pain or create dysfunction. Right. So I think that's our other responsibility is to say, hey, okay, fine. You know, you have this slight deviation. Guess what? Everybody has a rotational bias. Right. Yeah, right. Are you we left or do. right-handed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's, you know, it's those kinds of things that I see, you know, more is look, you know, I'm here to build a relationship with you in your body first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the way that you're talking about this and it, it's, um, it's really fantastic to think about not only scoliosis and osteoporosis, but any, any condition, any, you know, whether it's a, you know, post post rehab injury kind of situation um you know and i i know you have some personal experience with the hip replacement recently yes i do yes so whether it's something like that or it's scoliosis it's stenosis it's you know arthritis osteoarthritis whatever it is that we to articulate perhaps for ourselves what our responsibilities are to our students um in general um you know, and this is a lot of the work that I've been doing with teachers over the last, I don't know, gosh, it's been maybe five or six years now. It's like just the, the clarity, right, to get clear about some of these things. Like, first of all, why are you teaching, right? What, what, is it, what is it that you there, you are personally there to do or be, in what way are you there to be of service? But talking about it in terms of responsibilities, what are our responsibilities to our students, our patients, our clients, um, and letting that be our guide in terms of how much, um, you know, how many tools we use or, or what tools we use makes so much more sense to me in terms of creating this long lasting, positive, highly motivated relationship between us and our students. I'll just say students, um, so that it is a two-way street. It is about investigation. It is about increased awareness. It is about acceptance and about seeing, you know, what you said last about, um, you know, not treating people with scoliosis or osteoporosis as if they can't do something, right? As if something is wrong with them. I think one of the, one of the impetuses for me for creating this workshop was, that a lot of teachers who reach out to me and teachers that I train are constantly feeling concerned about how to, um, you know, teach a multi-level class or integrate students into, you know, small group equipment classes or group mat classes. And, and I think they struggle with knowing how to not only incorporate them in a technical way in terms of programming, but also many of them are not very, uh, graceful or they just don't know how they have some fear, I think, or, or just some hesitancy in, in 
working or integrating students with, you know, special, some kind of condition into a group environment. And of course, there's safety issues that we have to be aware of, but never, never assuming that the student is incapable, right, or not ostracizing them um, because they have scoliosis or osteoporosis. I think this, this skill, right, of being able to wisely and effectively incorporate the student, um, whether it's just, can you incorporate them into a regular program solo on their own, right? And, and really get them to see that their potential is still incredibly vast and, and, you know, whether that's in a one-on-one session or, or in a group setting, but I think that teachers, um, they're not really holding that as a responsibility, right? To, to show the student that they are still capable or to give the student the experience of all that they are capable of. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think some of that is, it, it comes unfortunately from our medical system, mm-hmm. um, you know, where, where you are given a diagnosis and you're told what's wrong. Right. And, and you're told what all of your precautions are. And, um, you know, when I was, I, I was fortunate enough to only be in the hospital for a really short time when I had my hip replacement last year, Mm -hmm. Um, I got out of there in a hurry. Um, but one of the big things that they focus on is how much pain are you in? Uh Uh, And I had had a conversation with, fortunately with my doctor and with, you know, some of the medical stuff ahead of time. And I said, look, I'm not buying what you're selling. So (laughs) if you're, if you're planning on giving me, you know, any of these drugs afterwards, you can just forget about it because, you know, I've got a nice little couple of ice packs that my husband brought in and, um, you know, I'll be good with a few Tylenol and then I'm going home and I'll be, I'll be fine, you know? Uh Um, and, and so I had set it up ahead of time. This is what I'm doing. Um, and my doctor said, that's great. That's fine. I, you know, was, I didn't have to have a general anesthetic. So I, you know, I had a spinal block, um, which still is a bit of junk to get out of your system, but not nearly as bad as a general. Uh-huh. And yet, you know, I got to my, my room and at the end of the bed, the first thing that you could see is, is a chart with the pain scale on it. Uh-huh. And next to the pain scale are little faces. So, you know, a 10 is a smiley face and a one is a grumpy face, you know, and everything in between. And every time somebody would come in, they'd say, what's your pain scale? Uh And I would say, oh, it's appropriate (laughs) post-surgical. They would say, (laughs) and they would say, but give us a number. And I'd say, well, I I don't know what to tell you. It's appropriate post-surgical, you know, it's, it's what it is. It's fine. You know, I'm, I'm good. Um, and I got out of bed pretty quickly and did all the, you know, routine that I had to do. And finally, a few hours later, I think it was one of my evening checkups, the nurse came in to watch your pain scale. I said, I'm not going to tell you my pain scale, but I will tell you my gratitude scale. Oh. <laughs> and I said, I'm so grateful I live in a country where I can get this done. Because I actually had a, uh, a defect that I'd known about for a long time. Mm. Um, in the head of my femur. So, you know, it had been, it had been a while that I'd known. And I think Pilates actually got me to this point where I could, you know, I could put it off about 20 years, which mm. was really good. 
And I said, I'm so, and I'm so grateful that, you know, I had one of the best surgeons and I'm really grateful my husband's here and he's going to take me home and take good care of me. And I'm really grateful that my friends are doing a meal train for me for two weeks, you know, mm. and I, was, I just started talking about what I was grateful for. And this nurse just looked at me as if I was completely crazy. And she said, okay, that's fine. Can you till, still tell me what number your pain is? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's the focus. The focus in our medical community is on looking for what's wrong. Yes. You know, when you go get an x-ray, if you go get an MRI, those people are paid, the radiologists are paid to find stuff wrong. They're not paid to give you a report on what's fine. Right. They're paid to give you a report on what they see wrong. Now, sometimes they'll say, oh, well, you know, this, this herniated disc or this whatever isn't any worse than it was six months ago. Uh-huh. That's, what the, you know, that's the good report. Right. Huh? But, but in our medical community, our focus is on the, you know, the, the dysfunction on, you know, what things have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think as teachers, our focus needs to be on what is what we can do and what's right and, and to help direct. And this is, you know, this is part of the neuroscience of it, too. We, we become what we focus on. Yes. You no, know, we are what we practice, as mm-hmm. they say. And if I'm practicing looking for my pain and I'm practicing looking at my dysfunction and if I'm practicing looking at what isn't going right in my body, I'm going to get more of it. Right. And I think as teachers, and, you know, and I love the name of your, you know, I just think skillful teaching is such a great name because that is what it is. It's a skill, and the skill includes the way we direct our students to see themselves differently. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and that's part of our job. And if we keep buying into, you know, if we, and we've got to do it in a subtle way, especially with some of our clients. Sure. But if we go down their rabbit hole with them about their dysfunction, then we're not doing the service to them at all. We're not giving them any kind of what we have to give because now we're, we're in it with them. Right. You know, and it's not our job to get in there with it, with them. Our job is to stand, you know, we can be in relationship and we can connect, but our job is then to bring them into our world, not jump into their world with them. Right. Um, and that's where I think using using our basic, simple techniques that we all already know how to do. I, you know, I think I was saying to you um, earlier. You know, being able to teach somebody how to get into a really good starting position mm-hmm. for whatever you know, whatever exercise we're going to do, that's a big thing to be able to do. Yeah. Because all of the exercise, whatever the movement of the exercise is, it comes from that. Mm-hmm. You know, our our starting position really dictates where we move from after that. Correct. Yeah. So let's talk about specifically, like, so you know, with scoliosis. Uh, if you're working with somebody with scoliosis, give me an example or two of of how you would incorporate this. How do you personally, or how you know, and or how do you recommend uh, teachers? you know, applying this idea, um, to their students, because I think my organic and intuitive approach over time has been like, uh, really 
being able to recognize that it's easy to get lost in all of the information and to see that trying to sort through and organize all of the information is not actually what's going to serve me best in the moment. And, you know, really looking for ways to trust myself, trust my students' experience, right? And, and come meet them where they are and explore, you know, like you said earlier, to kind of draw them uh, into their own experience a bit more. Um, right. And so I don't, you know, I, I feel like I have a fairly good grasp on all of the uh, details of, of working with scoliosis and osteoporosis, but I tend to just, I want the person to move well and feel good. And so I don't, I don't particularly get caught up in, in a lot of corrective action, although definitely there's a time and place for that. But I'm curious to just get some, um, you know, hear from you about like, what you have somebody who has scoliosis in general, what's a session look like for you? Um, if I'm doing a one-on-one, it usually starts with talking to them about where they're at today. Mm-hmm. You know, what's been going on with you, you know, so I might come in with an, with a plan of what I, what I'm thinking based on my last session. Um, and it's always with the idea that that plan might completely go out the window as soon as the client walks in the door. Yeah. Um, because they might have just, you know, something happened, um, in, around here in Colorado, you know, lots could happen in between <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's true. Yeah. Oh, I went for a bike ride or I went for a hike or yeah. the time I, you know, I went skiing or snowboarding or whatever. And, um, you know, we have a pretty active population yeah. around here. <laughs> right. so you never know what's going to happen. Um, but I usually have some sort of a plan. And I agree with you, Chantel. I, I just want them to move well and, and feel good. And I think the feel good part of it isn't just the, you know, I obviously we want them to feel strong and flexible and powerful and all of those things. Um, and I want them to feel good about them. Right. You know, when they leave. And I think that's, um, that's a big piece of what we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, if we, if we keep working on our teaching skills is that when people leave, they say, Oh, I feel so much better. And then not just talking about the physical part of it. Yes. They yeah. actually feel better. They feel more uplifted. They feel like they've got more energy. And that's, that for me is a great session. Mm-hmm. Um, and so typically in a session with somebody with scoliosis, um, there may be an ongoing theme that they're working on. So, for example, if they have a, you know, a concavity that we're, that we're working on, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, as we work through that with whatever techniques we choose or whatever exercises we do, or sometimes there might be support, you know, a support component. Right. Um, I want them to, to have a comparison throughout the session. Okay. Um, and I think that that's really important that, you know, when, so let's say we choose, you know, a concavity in the lumbar spine, for example. Okay. Um, and it's something that we're, that we're working on. And as we know, scoliosis is three dimensional. So, you know, there are all sorts of other bits and pieces involved in just looking at a side bend. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Um, 
but we won't get into that part of it. But let's just say, you know, if it's if it's just a, if it's a side bend, I want to pick an activity, a movement, a something where they can come back and compare it. Usually, at least once throughout the session, right? Maybe twice, and then definitely at the end of the session. So it may be something like a forward bend, but it also might be something like a single leg balance. Uh-huh. Yes. Where they notice that when their spine is differently organized and their pelvis is differently organized, their balance is improved. Right. Or they're not having to work so hard to balance or whatever it might be. But I pick a simple thing um, for them to look at so that they get it at the beginning of the session and then, again, as an, as an assessment once or twice throughout the session. Okay, how's that? Oh, yeah, that's feeling a little different. Oh, I noticed this, I noticed that. Right. And certainly, again, at the end of the session so that um, you're constantly bringing them back to them having a different experience throughout the session. And right. you're, only com- you're only looking at one thing. Right. You know, you're not looking at a, at a million different things. I think that's where we, you know, we not only overwhelm ourselves, we overwhelm our clients. Mm-hmm, for sure. But we want to give them a little thing, you know, to focus on so that they can keep coming back. Because one of the things that, that they need is, oh, yeah, this is actually working. Yes. Oh, yeah, that thing, that sequence of exercises that we did, that actually changed something. Yes. I want to just say something real quick. Um, there is a coaching model and it's, um, it was, it's called uh, motivational interviewing and it was designed, it came out of the, um, um, it came out of counselors working with addicts, right? So, um, and there's, there's been a, a lot of research published on it. There's been a great book called motivational interviewing one of the things that they use as a tool, uh, they use something called empathy coaching and they use something, uh, a part of that is about discrepancy. So motivation is driven by the, uh, understanding or experiencing the discrepancy between point A and point B. Right. Correct. And I think yes. this is, this is something I'm constantly talking about and always thinking about like, well, how do we do this in the, in the, in the Pilates studio environment, right? In the movement environment. Well, we're already doing that a little bit, but how do we make it very explicit so we can have our students be able to see in the micro view of a single session, but also over time, the macro view of many sessions, see that there is a place where they tend to live. And here's the felt experience of that. And now we apply some work, right? Corrective action, you know, whatever it is. And here is the experience of the shift and change. And the the greater these two things are, right? The greater awareness there is around the discrepancy, the greater the internal motivation. And I, I just feel like that's, that's one of the most powerful things I can do as a teacher is, is to help my students be internally driven Right. Oh, not, yes. not yes. need to be driven by my coaxing or convincing, right. Or whoever is coaxing and convincing them, their osteopath, their, you know, so-and-so their partner, their, their buddy, whatever it might be. So I, I love this. Uh, and I think it's so powerful. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that because it, it's, you know, it's perfect. Yes. Yeah. And it also comes from the cognitive behavioral world. Yes. Yeah, same kind of, um, thing is the motivational interviewing that you're talking about. Um, 
And, and I think that's where then you say, hey, by the way, I'm going to give you a way to practice that little sequence that we just did. This is how you're going to practice it at home. Right. And because they know that that sequence makes the difference and changes things, mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. They're more likely to do it. Right. And then they don't see us as the fixers. They see themselves as their own healers. Yeah. And that is such a big shift. And I, I think, you know, the, the greatest thing that I have ever heard from a client, and fortunately I've heard it a few times, is a client will come in for their, you know, usually my clients see me once, sometimes twice a week, and, and they'll come in and say, oh, I had this upset in my neck or my shoulder or my back or whatever it was over the weekend, and I almost emailed you or I almost texted you or almost whatever and then <laughs> I decided I was gonna do some of those things we've worked on yeah and I didn't need to call you yes and I say great that yeah. like that's the best that's the best news for everybody and then they feel really empowered because then they know if it happens again they know what to do so then it's not oh, okay, come to Pilates and you're going to have this perfect body and perfect life, you know, live happily ever after. Because <laughs> when does that ever happen? Right. Um, but you know how to deal with life as it's coming at you. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the other piece of what we can do for people. Because when you've been living with, you know, whatever it is, if it's scoliosis and you get pain from it, or if it's osteoporosis and you're afraid of your own spine because of it, mm -hmm. um, or if it's back pain or neck pain or whatever it is, when you make that shift to feeling like, oh, I'm not afraid of my own body anymore, yeah, I know what to do, that changes everything. Yeah. That, that changes, that doesn't just change you either. It changes all of your relationships. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a huge thing. I was reading something uh, recently about practice and some studies that have been done uh, uh, around practice and, and motivation to practice. And um, one of the leading factors in terms of, they were talking about children practicing like um, anything, piano or sports or something, uh, they gave some different examples, but they said that uh, research has shown that autonomy, have, if, if the person feels as if they own the choice, uh -huh. they are more empowered to show up for the, you know, the practice, the, the, whatever, the homework, the, you know, whatever we're giving them. So I think that that's a big, that's, that was so interesting. It's like, oh, that makes so much sense to me. How do we do, how do I do that? You know, in, in the, in the Pilates studio with Pilates, with movement is provide that sense of autonomy, that sense of, yes, this is my choice and I can affect change on my own body and just see that catapults, right? See that uh -huh. um, snowball into, yeah. into, yeah. And I think it's, I think in, in the Pilates world too, if, if we can start looking at it, that we are giving people a movement experience and an experience in their own body of movement, um, rather than I'm going to teach these 12, 15, 20 exercises, that, that would be a really nice shift, I think, too. I mean, yes, you're doing it through teaching this sequence of exercises. Mm -hmm. But how are you giving your clients an experience? Right. And what's and how, the experience and, and, that you are yeah, giving them? And, 
and it, yeah, an experience of themselves and then an experience of the fact that they can change it. Yes. Well, I mean, and you said just a moment ago, something about not, you know, for people with osteo, you know, it's like not fearing their own spine. Uh, I think we are inevitably always giving our students an experience, but we are not often or always giving them the kind of experience that leads to sustained motivation, greater awareness, uh, greater personal responsibility, you know, all of those things that I think particularly when you're talking about any condition, and you mentioned this earlier, you know, that we're, when we're sitting with a diagnosis, a thing that's maybe happening, we have this, this interpretation of it's happening to us. Uh-huh. You know, there, there is this, uh, you know, and this is what you said in the very beginning, there's this disconnect. And so do we create an experience with our students who have scoliosis and osteoporosis that promotes, um, a sense of potential, a sense of, um, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier in your own experience with your hip, the hip replacement, it's like, uh, gratitude for what I can do or what I am potentially able to do with time. You know, can we give our students, can we organize our programming and our tools and make those choices so that we are fulfilling that primary responsibility, you know, to give them an experience that will empower them to continue, right. And to improve and progress. Uh, yes. Yeah. And that, and I think that we talked about this maybe in the beginning. And then that is like, no matter what tools you use, if that's your, if, if you're living up to that responsibility, there are lots of great tools you could use. Exactly. There are, you could do a fabulous session just with breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you, if you just want a good basic tool that will change osteoporosis and scoliosis, both breathing. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, because that I don't. I I don't know if you're familiar. You probably are familiar with the Schroth method, which is um, coincidentally was started in Germany, um, and it's and it's for scoliosis. Um, and one of their primary focuses is on breathing. Yeah. What What does breathing have to do with the diaphragm, the ribs, the spine? You know, which of course we know those all get affected with scoliosis. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And, and, you know, if we could get really good at that and then get, I mean, we know what all sorts of physiological, psychological, emotional effects breathing has. Mm-hmm. What a great place to start. If you're feeling like, you know, you're, you're a new Pilates teacher and this whole scoliosis three-dimensional thing has got you tied up in knots, which, you know, it gets, it the, best of us. It gets the best of us tied I up know, in knots. I know, I know. Then breathe. Yeah. You know, how about some lateral breathing, some posterior breathing, right side, left side? You know, there's so much that you can do with just the the basic things if you have that intention of of empowering your student um, to to be their own healer and to and to get comfortable with their own body. And I think what happens because of the whole diagnosis thing is um, I call it medical ease. Um, uh-huh. You kind of get you get tied up, you know. Our our students, our clients get tied up in the medical ease thing, and they don't understand it. Right? You know, we use all these terms that don't make any sense to people. It sounds like a foreign language. 
it actually disconnects them even more from their bodies. And then they're more likely to put their trust in somebody else because they think, well, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't really understand this osteoporosis thing. What does this mean? And I'm reading all these things and I still don't understand it. So it's easier for them to just say, okay, fine, I'm going to turn this over to somebody else because I don't understand it. Yeah. So we're here to bring some understanding and to, and to simplify it as much as we can as teachers so that they're more inclined to come back into their body rather than to shove it off and, you know, and say, well, my, my doctor knows all that. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from people. <laughs> right. You know, I'll say, well, where's your, you know, where did you have your back surgery? Oh, I don't know. You know, my doctor knows that. <laughs> well, don't you think it'd be helpful if you knew? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. My doctor's got all that information. Well, it's in your body. Yeah, yeah. So if, but I, but I understand that why people do it because they feel like it's so complex. And I think we can, you know, we can, if we make it really complicated, we push them out of their bodies. Yes. Um, if we can simplify it and that's why I love using imagery and just say, Hey, you know, you don't need to know all the big words. You don't need to know the names of all the bones and muscles in your body. It's more like this. Yeah. And I go, Oh, Oh, okay. I understand how one of those things works. I can do that. Right. Right. And I think that leads us, uh, to teaching our, or teaching, I guess is the right word. Our students, how to better trust their own experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And then one of the things that I've been talking uh, about recently in relationship to scoliosis and osteoporosis, uh, you know, leading up to the workshop is that one, trust yourself, trust what you see, right? Don't, don't, it doesn't need to be fancy. Just right, what do you right. see? You know, what are the aesthetics of the body of the movement? And then ask your student, ask them what they feel, what's their experience and trust their experience. And if you feel like they're not, I mean, we've all had that, uh, those moments where you ask a student, um, some investigatory question and they're like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel anything. And then it's like, okay, well, then in my mind as the teacher, it's like, oh, well, one of, one of the things I need to do is help this body feel its body, you know, help them, help them trust themselves or experience themselves. And then that way they can give me feedback. So I think it's just, you know, it just seems really, really, uh, connected all of that very, you know, much the same, you know, different pieces of the same train kind of. Yes. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the other, one of the other things that, that was, is, is important for us to mention is, um, when you have somebody in class, if you're doing a group class, because this was one of the things that you had asked me earlier is, you know, okay, well, what if somebody comes into your class and they have scoliosis or osteo? Um, and it comes back to that, that idea that they're not broken. Yeah. We don't want to identify them. You know, we all want to be part of the tribe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what does that person say you have somebody that comes into your class and they have scoliosis what did they have to teach the rest of us? Mm. Instead of us 
looking at them. Oh, well, okay, you know, Mrs. Smith, you know, you're not, sorry, you're going to have to sit this one out because you have this terrible diagnosis. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, She'll probably sit out and stay out, I would say, if you do that. Um, But we all have little rotational biases and side-bending biases because we, you know, we are right or left-handed. We have a dominant eye. We have a dominant leg. You know, our, our right brain is different from our left brain. Right. So my experience of the right side of my body isn't going to be exactly the same as the experience of the left side of my body anyway, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even in a quote unquote normal person. Right. Um, So, so to bring them into the group and say, Hey, you know, as a group, okay, we're going to focus on all of our scoliosis today. Yeah. We're all doing a scoliosis class because we're, and, and I bet you we're all going to notice that we have differences between the two sides. Yeah. For sure, and, and and so and same thing, you know, in with osteoporosis. Okay, well, we let's see if we can, you know, let's see if we can maintain this position of our spine while we do some of these exercises. Yeah, you know, and that's not to say um, that we don't teach our osteo people how to modify a roll up or whatever, um, but to to sort of make them. I think it's important to make sure that that. Any of our clients, any of our students feel like they're part of the tribe. Yeah. You know, that we're all in this together and and that we all have improvements to make. And and we just, as you said, have to keep practicing. Yeah. Um, you know, because ultimately, what are we really practicing for? We're practicing for life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm practicing right now so that I can ski really hard this winter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, yes. you know, this whole conversation has been really so fantastic and um it's inspiring me to maybe think about uh, how how to teach you know in this upcoming workshop like how interesting would it be to not introduce anything <laughs> except for incredibly fundamental skills that everybody already knows. Right? It's like, "Oh, you know, one of our tools is breathing. One of yes. our tools is lumbopelvic stability. Oh, wait, uh, you know that already. Okay. You know, to just take four or five fundamental skills that we're all practicing and very specifically look at what are the implications on scoliosis? What are the, the profound benefits, right, on, on scoliosis and osteoporosis of each of these things that you're already doing? And I think... Um, what a, what the, there's maybe no better way to really help teachers ground into the knowledge that they already have and be able to apply it wisely and consistently rather than lots of new information and hands-on tools and tricks and props and things, which can all be really great, obviously. But, um, yeah, I just think, I, I think it's very cool what, what we're talking about. And so powerful and, yes. and relevant, um, yeah. yeah, you know, gives us a steadiness in our teaching, I think. And a lot of times I know for myself over the years have had those moments where, um, I feel like, oh, I, I need to know more, right? I can't do a good job unless I know more and really inevitably come to find out that it's not about knowing more, but it's about how I'm applying what I already know or just how am I applying 
a small bit of knowledge, not every piece of knowledge. Exactly. And well, and if you think about how we generally, when you research something, you change one variable. Yeah. You know, you don't change 27 variables. Right. (laughs) You change one. Yeah. Because that's how you're going to get an accurate assessment of what made the difference. Right. Um, Yes. Uh I was, you know, we, we cut the cord a while ago in my house, so we don't have cable TV anymore, but luckily we still get PBS. Uh Um, And there's a great program on PBS called Create TV, and they have all sorts of kind of cool little shows. And Julia Child's still on there. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I occasionally like to just, you know, I like watching Julia, but because <laughs> I thought she was so authentic and so just who she was, you know, just went with it. And, you know, I mean, what a great example she was. Yeah. And, and there was a show on and they were doing um, I, it must Julia must have ended. And there was there was this barbecue show on and this guy was doing smoked brisket. <laughs> And he wanted to see, you know, what was the best method. And the only thing he changed, so he did, you know, did everything the same. He kept one of them naked, like didn't wrap it up, wrapped one in butcher paper and wrapped one in foil. Uh-huh. And those were his variables. Uh-huh. And he said, you know, if you're going to, don't change the rub, don't change how long you cook it, don't change the sauce, don't change anything else. If you really want to find out if something is going to make a difference, change one thing. Right. Um, and it was just funny because I thought, oh, that's exactly, that's what we need to be doing. Yes. You know, and it was just a funny reminder because, you know, I, I think we see these these lessons all over the place all the time. <laughs> yes. If we're looking for them. So I found them on a cooking show about brisket, which I Perfect. don't even cook. I don't even cook brisket. But, right. you know. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good because I think that's what happens exactly is we think we've got to have so many tricks up our sleeve um, and the problem is we, if we don't get a chance to practice all those tricks, we're not very good at them anyway. Exactly. So exactly. we're not, we're delivering an inferior product yes. to our, to our students. And it takes a long time. As you know, you've been doing this work for a long time and so have I, it just takes time and practice and time and practice and, you know, trial and error to, to keep building your, your toolkit. Yeah. Um, and it, you can't build your, to, your toolkit in a big hurry. Right. So we need to just, you know, master one thing and get good at those few basic variables and then move into something else. Yeah. Um, and that's where we benefit our clients the, the best anyway, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's what happens with people, um, particularly coming, coming back from a, a workshop on scoliosis or osteoporosis is they, they try to incorporate too much too soon and everything feels mediocre at best, totally unsuccessful at worst. And then there's a lack of confidence. You, you maybe believe that you don't understand what's really going on and you stop trying, right? You just feel like, oh, it's too overwhelming. I'm not sure what to do. So I'm just, I'm not going to try to do anything. That's so right. I think this is such a great... You know, it reminds me, uh, this book has been out for a little while, but this book called The One Thing, have you heard of that? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, it's been floating around out there for a while, but I just started to listen to it on audiobook, and it's pretty great, actually. Um, but it talks all about this, like, essentially, 
focusing on one thing is always going to get you the best results and very likely make everything else easier. You know, and I just think, but ah, so applicable, right, to, mm-hmm. to pretty yeah. much everything. Yes, because as we know, we're not we're not made to multitask. Exactly. <laughs> well, multitasking, you know, it's a it's a, uh, it's a trap for inefficiency, right? It's just yes. you, you can't you can't divide your attention in you know more than two places and have anything be done as well or effectively as if it were single-minded focus. Exactly. It's very interesting. Yes. And that's, and that's the same for our clients. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Which is perhaps a whole other conversation. (laughs) Probably is. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm going to go ahead and let you go, Lindy. Thank you. This was so super awesome. Thanks for being willing to chat with me. Really, really great and um, such such wonderful um, discussion. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. I really, really enjoyed it. So thanks for asking me. Yeah. What a nice way to spend a Friday afternoon. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And um, I will. I'll send you over a link when it's all up, and you can listen if you'd like or, or share you. it if you'd like. Um, but yeah, I hope to see you sometime in the future and thanks again. Oh, you're very, very welcome. All right. I will see you. Yeah. When next time in your neck of the woods or vice versa. Yes. Sounds great. Thanks, Lindy. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye.